we've been working through uh, the book of Acts uh, throughout our, really since the new year, actually, we've been kind of uh, taking each Sunday, maybe a chapter at a time, maybe a couple chapters at a time to work through the book of Acts. And these next few chapters, last week, we uh, kind of focused on the GMC aspect of things. Paul was doing missionary journeys, and I reminded us that God is not an either-or. Either you work on stuff in your own town or you work on stuff globally. God is both and. We both are trying to reach our community and reach the ends of the earth. And if we're a part of the EC Church, that's the denomination of our church. We have an organization called the Global Ministries community, which I have the privilege of leading, that's trying to help us as a church do that both and thing. And my uh, compatriot, Denise Jaramillo, was here, D, as we know her by, uh, the deputy director of GMC, to kind of share and really remind us of this rekindling, this burning fire, this burning passion that needs to be rekindled. And as I shared with you, this act series has really been that for me, reminding me that the stuff we're reading isn't just history. It's really just the story that God's writing. And we get to read about it in the Bible, but he's also writing it in and through us. And so we haven't done really what I would call a deep dive into the book of Acts. We've kind of just been at that 30,000 foot level, peering into it and kind of trying to discern some things that might take what God was doing back then what God wants to do now, put them together and see how he wants to do that in and through Grace Church. So today is kind of the same thing. There's a lot of places you could go in these two chapters. But what I want us to see from this and what I, what I picked up from this is just some general things. Things that Paul did in Acts chapter 17 and 18, that when you walk out of here today, you could actually do the exact same thing. You don't have to be Paul and some superstar missionary. You could do the exact same thing Paul did and accomplish the mission God's called us to. That's how easy it really is. And throughout this series in Acts, that's kind of how we've been approaching it because it's kind of hard to cover two chapters as much as there is in there in the short amount of time that we have. So we're going to cover these two chapters, but we're going to do it uh, in a way that's going to, I hope, help us see that some strategies that Paul used are not unique to him or unique to any time period, but they're actually applicable to us. You could do this, as I said, when you leave today. The map behind me is kind of where we're following Paul right now. We kind of got started last week with Paul's second missionary journey. He's starting up here in the Philippi area, and these lines are, we're going to go to Thessalonica, Berea, down through here. We're going to go to Corinth. We're going to go over here to Ephesus. And then we're going to come down here to Caesarea and Jerusalem. And then we're going to go back up here. And we're going to do all that in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> That's impossible. God can do anything, but he, there's no way he can get me to do all that in 10 minutes. It's just impossible. But we're not going to read through all of that. I'm just showing you where all the places that Paul is going to be in simply 16, 17, 18. That's the journey he's making through 16, 17, and 18 in the book of Acts. If you've been following along, hopefully you've been able to read through the entire chapter on Sunday mornings. That's not what I've been doing. 
Like I said, we've been trying to do some summary kind of things, so I don't read all of it. I'm not going to read all of 17 and 18 today either, but those are the places we're going to go. These names ought to look familiar to you. Maybe you have uh, never been there. Some of, some of you may, may have been there. Uh, there are locations you can still go to today. Uh, but you should recognize some of those names because if you keep reading in the New Testament, you're going to see letters written to a church in Thessalonica. That's a city. A group of people started following Jesus. A church was planted. That happened in Acts chapter 17. And later Paul writes a letter to them. Corinth, same deal. There's, another, there's two letters in our New Testament that Paul wrote to these Christians. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to these Christians. All this is happening in Acts 17 and 18. He is planting these churches. Uh, Berea, maybe it's a name that you've heard of. Certainly Athens is a name we still hear of today because it was a very prominent city in Paul's day, and it's still a prominent city today. So all these places uh, had churches established, and Paul was ministering to all of them. How did he do it? What's the strategy that he used? Jesus told the disciples, you're going to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Paul is actually doing it. Well, how did he do it? And Acts 16, 17, 18 are giving us uh, a picture of, of how Paul did it. So before we get into it, we can see his strategy. If you read these chapters on your own, you're going to see these reoccurring themes. Uh, on the screen behind me, item one, two, and three is Paul's strategy. There was a strategy to how he did discipleship. We need to have a strategy on how we do discipleship. As I said, one of the things that was brought home to me again as uh, reading through the book of Acts is uh, I want to have a very clear discipleship strategy. This coming fall, we're going to be talking about that as a church. We're going to be diving deep into that as a ministry council, forewarning to everybody on ministry council, into our discipleship strategy. We're going to be looking at that. And really, I want to see that be very clear for all of us in terms of what God's called us to do. Paul did it. The church has been doing it. And I just want us to be intentional about it as well. Because my desire is to see people that are nowhere with Jesus start talking to their friends about Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. Those, that's what a disciple looks like. You start choosing to live in such a way that your life starts to reflect the life of Jesus more and more. And that's as simple as your interactions with your spouse, your interactions with your coworkers. It is so simple of what Jesus is trying to do. And your life begins to look very different. And people start asking questions. People start wondering why. This is what discipleship looks like. This is what the ministries of Grace Church are trying to do. So Paul's strategy, Paul was a Jew. He grew up as a Jew. He was well-versed in the scriptures. And when they're used in Acts 17 and 18, they're in reference to the Old Testament. And what Paul would do is he would go into a synagogue where everybody else knew the Old Testament scriptures. And he would start talking to them about how those scriptures actually pointed to the Messiah. He would begin to make some connections with Jesus. He would take something that was super familiar to the people that he's talking to, and he, could, he would connect that in with the story about Jesus. Everywhere he goes, that's what he begins with. 
And as we see, he doesn't just go to this city. He goes to a synagogue one day and does that, or he goes into the town center and he does that, and then he goes somewhere else. What we actually see Paul doing is building some relationships. He spends ample amount of time with the people he's trying to reach. That's why it's important to, um, I think, uh, as our denomination, when we put pastors in churches, that I didn't stay living in Reamstown where I grew up, but that I came and lived in the same town that we're all living in. How am I going to build relationships with people if I'm not rubbing shoulders with them on a regular basis? Relationship is a huge part of Paul's strategy. And you'll see that throughout the book of Acts in all of the missionary journey he's taking. He also recognizes that some people just don't want to hear it. They're going to reject the message. And Paul is able to transition, to pivot, to call an audible and say, all right, well, I'm going to go start to the, talk to these Gentile people. But what you'll see is Paul employs a different strategy, a different way of talking to them throughout his missionary journeys. So what I want to start with, I'm only going to read little portions of Acts 17 and 18. I want to use an example that is going to come back up at the end of the message. And again, I'm hoping that when you walk out of here, you can take something with you to say, I could do this tomorrow if needed. Have any of you ever coached a, a sports team? Doesn't matter what kind of team. Have you ever coached any kind of team? Some of you have been coaches. Any teachers out there that you've been teaching children of some kind, or maybe you teach middle schoolers, maybe you teach an adult class of some kind, any teachers out there? Okay, I don't know what you people do all day, but there's not a lot of hands going up. If you've ever raised children, um, if you've ever had small children and raised them to grown children, in all of these cases, you probably fall somewhere on there. You've, if you've not done any of that, you've probably been in a classroom. You've probably been on a team. And you know when you were six years old trying to learn baseball, you were taught it very different than when you were 16 and playing baseball. I played baseball from a kid on up. I never coached baseball. But at six, you're just trying to get kids not to get slammed in the head with the ball. Like, this is how you catch it. Keep your glove in front of your face. The ball's going in there. At 16, you're being taught it in a different way. You're learning plays. Where should the infield be when there's a person on first and third and nobody out? How do we play the infield when there's a person on sec first and second? Where's the outfield going to play? How are we going to pitch this guy? You start learning much more intricate things. You talk to people differently. If you are raising children, if you're a teacher, you are teaching children at 5, 6, 7, different than you're teaching children at 15, 16, 17. Um, if you're raising kids, you're talking to them differently at 5 and giving them lessons about life at 5 and 6 that are different than when they're 15, 16, 17. Hopefully by the time they're in their 20s, you're not giving them the same lessons that you were trying to give them at age 5. Now, I know some people are still doing that, um, but hopefully that's changing. Regardless, you know, and I'm sure you're not talking to them the same way you did when they were five. You're using probably different language and, in many cases, different tones on when they're turning 20. 
So what does that have to do with what I'm about to read for you? That is exactly how we need to approach how we talk to people about Jesus. There are many people in our culture that never walked into a church. There are many people in our day that don't speak the same language that you and I speak. And maybe you have come here not growing up in church, and some of the stuff that I'm saying and some of the stuff we do seems kind of foreign to you or maybe even weird at times. Well, Jesus' people are weird at times, and that's why I found this group, because I'm weird, so I fit in with this group of people. But we've got to realize when we're telling people about Jesus, all the wonderful things we've sung about, all the wonderful things we read about, hear about, might not come across their ears in the same way as they do ours. They might not even get it. Paul spent his time as a missionary understanding his audience. When I was on vacation two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I can't even remember how long ago it was. What month is this? July, July 30th. Time is just flying by. But I watched a movie. Uh, I don't have opportunity to watch a lot of movies, but I did watch a movie I hadn't seen in a long time. It was called A League of Their Own. Has anybody ever seen A League of Their Own? Yes? Oh, so you all did that, but you never did anything else. Okay. So you, most of you know the premise of the movie. If you haven't, Tom Hanks is the main character. He was an all-star baseball player, and he turns into just a drunk. He's washed up, but it's World War II. Obviously, all the guys are going off to war, but we still want to give something for the people back home to celebrate and do the national pastime of America's baseball. So they create a softball team. They go to different places and recruit ladies to play softball. Now, Tom Hanks was a baseball player in the 30s, and this is taking place in the 40s, obviously, World War II. And so he knew what baseball was like with the dudes he played baseball with. And there's one scene, all of you know it. It's probably, even if you haven't seen the movie, you've heard it because your coach has said it sometime, probably. One of the girls does something bad. She makes a bad play, costs them. I don't remember if it cost them the game or not, but it was a bad play. And Tom Hanks comes out, and he just lays into her. She starts crying. And he's, like, confused. He's like, what are you doing? There's no crying in baseball. And he, I think, realizes, and as you watch the movie, he begins to realize he can't coach these ladies the same way he coached or pl even played with the guys that he was a part of. We do it all the time. We get it all the time. You know you can't say the same thing. I, I've never coached girls soccer. Now, I don't think I could coach girls soccer. I'm too boot campish. Um, I'm, I'm too, like, I still got that drill sergeant kind of thing in my brain. And I think they would cry a lot if I coached. My girls do not play soccer. They dance. I haven't tried to be a dance coach. I'm not sure if I could. Um, so I've not done this, but I think it, it'd be hard. But, but I recognize I would have to change my coaching approach if I was coaching a girls' soccer team because I play soccer. I know what my coach was like. So we, we get it. Instinctively, we know that. 
But when it comes to talking to people about Jesus, sometimes we, we forget that. But it's such a huge part of Paul's strategy, and maybe it's something that we need to kind of get into our minds again as followers of Jesus so that when we're talking to people, we're not going like this. Acts 17 and 18 is pointing this out. I'm just going to read a couple of passages for us and highlight how Paul did this and then remind us of a couple important things as we close. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis, that was at the northern part of that screen on that map I gave you in Apollonia, that was kind of chapter 16 last week, that's where he was, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. So here's Paul's strategy. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So you're going to read, if you read through Acts, you're going to hear Paul do that over and over and over again. These three Sabbath days, that's not three days in a row. That's actually over a three-week period, and it's likely Paul's doing this over a month. He's already been here in Thessalonica over a month time. So he has had a month to spend with these folks. And he's taking the familiar, the scriptures, that's not talking about the Bible we're reading, it's talking about the Old Testament scriptures that they would have been reading, and he's taking something that they all know, and he begins to share it with them in a setting like this, in a synagogue, and talking with them. Explaining and proving that the Messiah, from these very scriptures, had to suffer and rise from the dead. The Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, and these Old Testament scriptures that you've been reading since you were a kid are telling you that, are sharing that, and I'm going to make these connections for you. And that's what Paul did. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. They're like, yeah, I believe that. I can see how God was doing this then and how God did this through Jesus. And a large number of God-fearing Greeks. These aren't people that grew up in the church as Jews eth ethnically, but they were Greeks, basically everybody that wasn't Jewish. In, the, in the, the part of the world that Paul was, they started following Yahweh, the ways of God through these Old Testament scriptures. And they're like, yes, that makes sense. I can see it. And it says quite a few prominent uh, women in that city. They began to follow Paul and Silas. Really, they began to follow Jesus, and a church is planted. But in the midst of that, there were other Jews who were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob, and they rioted in the city. Sounds familiar some other stuff that was happening in our culture not too long ago. They rushed to Jason's house. This is where Paul and Silas were staying. And they ordered them to bring them out. They want to do some nasty things to them. That brief passage, Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 5, is simply something that happens in every city Paul goes to. And it happens all the time when we're trying to share Jesus as well. The response that we're going to get, some people are just going to reject Jesus. They're going to get angry because of what we believe. They're going to get angry simply because we follow a guy named Jesus. We've not even done anything to them. And they're going to want to shut you down. They're going to want to shut us down. And it, hey, it's nothing new. Paul experienced it himself. In fact, they got to get Paul and Silas out of town pretty quickly after that. And they head to a place called Berea, as you'll see in a minute. But sharing that message generated some curiosity. People were wondering about this 
familiar thing. We grew up with these scriptures. How is this pointing to this Jesus, this Messiah, this one you're telling us about? How could the Messiah have to die, and how did he rise again? And they begin to be persuaded about it, and some actually even accept this message. And they confess Jesus as Lord, and they get incorporated into this body of Christ we call the church. Those are the exact same responses you and I are going to face. You've already probably faced some of them. If you haven't, and you start talking to people about this Jesus, you're going to face them. It's nothing new. It's a reminder to us of what Paul's already experienced. In verse 10, as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Cyrus away, Silas away to Berea. Things got pretty hot in Thessalonica. They had to leave, and they got out of town and went to Berea. On arriving, hey, look at that. Paul finds another synagogue, and he starts doing the very same thing he did at the last one. He starts trying to take something familiar to all of them, and bring Jesus up and into it. Now, he had to leave Berea sooner than he probably would have wanted because the angry mob back in Thessalonica heard that Paul and Silas were in Berea, and they went after him there. And so they had to leave Berea. And when they left Berea, they go to a place called Athens. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. This was like the town center, and he said, Now, if you read... Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 32, uh, 34, all on your own, you're going to read a very different message than Acts chapter 13. What we see in verse 22 is that Paul doesn't go into the synagogue. He goes somewhere else. He's in the marketplace. And what you read in that passage is not Paul starting from the Old Testament scriptures. He doesn't even bring any of that up. He doesn't say, your prophet said, Moses said. He doesn't say any of that. He actually looks around in Athens. He gets kind of a lay of the land, begins to understand his context. He perceives the audience that he's talking to, and he's like that coach. He coached, my dad coached uh, young boys for a long, long time. Uh, in baseball. And over the years, from when I was a kid until well after I was gone, he had to change the way he addressed the boys in baseball because of the change in attitude, the change in level of knowledge they even had as an eight-year-old, 10-year-old coming to the baseball field, in the change in the kind of ways you could talk to these young kids, he actually had to do exactly what Paul did. He had to understand his changing audience, and he had to kind of reevaluate how he spoke to them. And he, he really, that brought, it was brought home for him one day when, you know, this little kid um, threw a baseball, and he, I think he was a catcher, and, you know, it would land in front of the pitcher. It was like, he wasn't throwing it hard. He was just like, eh, throwing it like that. And my, my dad says, come on, Mary, throw it harder. <laughs> and I don't know if the kids started crying, but he got really upset about it. My dad's like, well, I guess I can't say that anymore. He had to relearn the audience he was talking to. As a person who does ministry full time, that rubs shoulders with the same people you rub shoulders with, and believe it or not, in the place I lived in 
Lancaster County, it, it is a little different than the place I live now here in Schuylkill County. I had to learn the audience to which I was talking to as well. And what we need to realize is the audiences that we're talking to, the friends we have, the coworkers we have, many of them don't even know anything about the stuff we hear every Sunday, the devotions I do throughout the week, the podcast I listen to, the music I listen to. And all they're really looking for is a way in which they can connect with the things that we're saying. So Paul in Acts chapter 17 starts very different. And if, if you have nothing to do today or this week, you can compare and contrast the two messages from Acts 13 to this one. He stands up and he says, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, Paul did a lot more watching, observing, and listening before he started talking. And that's a good lesson. Sometimes we got to listen way more before we talk and observe a lot more before we begin to speak. And as he did all that observing and listening, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So apparently they didn't want to offend the unknown God out there, so they built an altar to the unknown God. And Paul says, I want to tell you about this unknown God that, that you don't know. You are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I want to share with you today. This is what I'm going to proclaim. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And guess what? He doesn't live in temples because in Athens there were lots of temples. You could go there today and you could see some of them. And he isn't built by human hands. There's no God. That stone, that gold, that silver doesn't represent the God I'm telling you about. But I do want to tell you about this God. And that message, we don't have time to go into it. There's a lot there. That message is Acts chapter 17. And he goes on to tell them about this God. In 18, when he went to Corinth, after he left Athens, he met up with some Jewish people. And you know what he did with those Jewish people? He went and lived in their home. He built a relationship with them. And he went into the synagogue and he started talking to them about this Jesus. And after the Jews didn't listen to him there, he pivoted and he started talking to the Greeks again. And you'll see that as he goes to Ephesus. This is what Paul did all of the time. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. It's not some magical formula. It's a simple strategy you and I can use right now. And here it is. These three things, if you employ these strategies, you can use them. And I didn't, you, I don't know if somebody paid all the parents with babies, but apparently the babies are hungry, so they're telling Ted, all right, Ted, it's time to wrap it up. The kids are getting hungry, which means I'm getting hungry. Uh, and this is wrapping it up. Here it is. Those three points, you can do them tomorrow. Maybe there's somebody you've been talking to that you just need to realize they're not listening anymore. And guess what? That's okay. Doesn't mean you've got to stop praying for them. Doesn't mean you've got to stop caring about them, caring about them or loving them. But maybe it's okay to just take a break. Because what we've seen is that there are people who are just going to reject this good news. Why do they reject the good news? I don't know, but they do. And maybe it's starting to feel like you're just beating them over the head with this religion thing. And they're just, they're putting a wall up. They're going to do the exact opposite thing that you say simply because you're saying it. 
The reality is some people are just going to reject Jesus. It's sad. It's a shame. It's tragic, but they will. And maybe there's somebody else that God can put on your heart to start talking to. And I guarantee you, you start praying about that, God will do it. But it's okay to give that a break for a while. And maybe it's actually going to benefit them if you've been doing that to give that a break. The other thing that we see is you need to understand your audience. You need to understand the people you are rubbing shoulders with. And maybe you need to do a lot more listening with your coworkers than talking and learn about them. And something's going to connect and you're going to be able to have a conversation. Like I said, that happens with church left the building all the time. They're just curious why. They're the ones asking me the questions about it. It's as simple as me saying, hey, I know you're going through a tough time. Can I pray for you? And after a couple times of doing that and me asking about how they're doing, they're like, why do you care so much? Does praying even work? I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that there was a a Jeopardy episode where the, the question that they were asked was to finish a sentence in the Lord's Prayer. Now, maybe some of you don't have the Lord's Prayer memorized, but the demographic of people that are watching um, Jeopardy most of the time, they do. And I'm sure they were all screaming at the television the answer to Jeopardy, and it made them feel really smart, I bet. Because if you've ever watched Jeopardy, it makes you feel kind of dumb. But they knew that answer. Most of those people are probably 60-plus. We're talking to a very different group of people. And that simply means we got to do the same thing Paul did. Let's just learn a little bit about the people we're talking to. And maybe it's listening and observing a little bit more, building a connection. And then that third point is building a relationship, which takes time, which none of us have. We're all thinking about the next thing we have to do after this service ends because we are conditioned to live by the clock. That's why there's a clock at the back of this church. You know, when I go to India, when I go to Nepal, when I go to Liberia, there is not a clock to be found in the church. We live by that clock. And you know what talking to people about Jesus is? It takes time. And relationships are essential. They are so essential that the United States government said, we are in this epidemic of loneliness. And you know what their bright idea is? They think if they start a department of the United States government to deal with loneliness, they'll be able to fix the problem. Well, we know how well that's going to turn out. Uh, We could just start listing all the other programs they have going that have not fixed the problem, but... In fact, it probably made the problem worse. The very thing that people are desperate for, real, authentic, genuine relationships, is the very strategy that Jesus used, that Paul used, that every single one of us can do. You do not have to go to seminary to learn how to care about somebody. You do not need to know Greek to learn how to care about somebody. It's really a relationship and a conversation gets started And before you know it, maybe they're interested in what you have to say about this Jesus guy that you've been following. And maybe because it's a connection that's made, not because I quoted a scripture, but because I was able to find something familiar that they know and that I know, and we, we were able to put that together. 
one of the things we say about Grace Church, you can read it on our website, we talk about it all the time, is when we say Christ Church and community, that word church is really conveying family. We want people to find genuine, authentic relationships. And that is the exact, apparently in our country, in our culture, if I'm reading the context in which I find myself, the government says we are in an epidemic of loneliness. We've got to figure it out. And their answer is to start some department and throw some money at it. We know it's not going to work. We have the very thing this culture is desperate for, but do we have the time? I could show you my Google Calendar, and it is full of colors because I got stuff on it all the time. I know you do, and if you're retired, you know that calendar doesn't get any less busy. You just get to do more things that you want to do. Or if you have kids, more things they've been wanting you to do since you've retired. These three things you can walk out of here today and do. And one of the things they said about Paul and Silas, one of the reasons they got mad at them was because they turned, these same guys that turned the world upside down are now in our town and we don't like it. Do you know what God can do with someone just starting a conversation with someone else? Apparently, Read the book of Acts. He can turn the world upside down. That's all it takes. That's as simple as it is. There's a whole world out there. It's right outside your door. It's that person you work with that needs to know Jesus. And as we didn't, we could have dove into a lot of things in Acts 17 and 18. But I, what I was really trying to do is make this so applicable as possible that all of us could get what we need to do. It's okay to take a break on that person that just doesn't want to hear it anymore and pivot to that person that seems to be interested in. It's okay to do a little bit more listening and observing. And really what people are looking for is our time. But our time's up. So we're going to end there and I guarantee you, you start praying about this, God's going to give you those opportunities. I'm going to pray to close in this last song. There's a lot of things we're going to sing about in this song that you can connect with people on. If you've ever felt weary, if you've ever felt depressed, if you've ever gone through a whole hard time, I bet you someone else has. And right there, you've got a way to connect with them because you can share with them how you got through it with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's really easy one, two, three steps to helping people find Jesus. It's not difficult, uh, but really, Lord, it's finding that time and being willing to listen, observe, and figure out ways to connect. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody that has just been kind of putting the wall up, God, that we don't have to stop caring about them, but maybe we can change directions a little bit. And maybe that's going to be good for them too. Maybe they've stopped hearing us a long time ago. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to listen to our coworkers, our friends, our family, our neighbors, the other parents on that sports team. And maybe we would just listen a little bit more than talk or have bad attitudes about it so we can kind of hear what's going on in their life. And Lord, I pray that we would just be able to find that time 
People in this country are desperate, desperate for relationship. And that's exactly what Jesus is all about. And so, Lord, I pray that as we close this morning and we're reminded about this Jesus that changes lives, God, that starts with a simple conversation. I pray we might have more of those so that this Jesus that changed our lives can change other people's lives. And we pray it in his name. Amen.